Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about, literally at this point, just everything that we come across <laughs> in our practice, in our field. After a couple hundred episodes, we continue to find new areas that we're hearing conversations in the background and wanting to be able to put you, our audience, in touch with the people who are leading some of these conversations. And as close as we can tie this into Earth Day, we wanted to talk about eco-anxiety and those clients presenting with concerns about climate change and this being an area that we've been aware of for a while, but figured we would get somebody who's really, really smart about this. So welcoming to the podcast today, Dr. Thomas Doherty, a psychologist up in the Portland area. And with his podcast, also Climate Change and Happiness, we are very happy to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kurt and Katie. I'm glad to be here. We are so excited to have you here and to have this conversation. The first question that we ask everyone is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Yeah, that's a great question for all of us to think about every day. You know, today I'm thinking about being a parent, you know, I'm a parent of a 14-year-old and getting her out to school. I have my day. I work from home mostly these days because of the pandemic. A lot of my practice has shifted to my home office and so I'm a and I'm a psychologist and I have most recently been really immersed in this area of environmental identity and people's connections with nature and their concerns about nature and the natural world and climate change. And that uh, is something I've been interested in, but now, you know, the world has caught up to me a little bit on this and a lot of other people are interested in it too. So it's really, it's kind of where my, where my focus is these days in exploring some of these issues. So let's start from the basics here and kind of work our way up into some of the bigger ideas. Let's start with defining what is eco-anxiety and maybe how that's a little bit different than kind of passing concerns around environmental transition sort of stuff. I'll make a point that we can cycle back to about this because people, we have anxiety when we're concerned about some you know, we're apprehensive about some potential threat in the future, but, you know, there's a saying in therapy, you know, you, we hurt where we care. And so anxiety is, is a signal to us, but it's also a signal that we have values and we have things that we care about and things that are important to us. Right. And so very quickly into the eco-anxiety conversation, I like to pivot to that value piece because it helps to ground people and we can get to that. But eco-anxiety 
is a term that started by my reckoning. It, it, it started to be used in the media around 2007, give or take. And it was originally describing people's concerns around just these kind of insidious environmental issues that we know about that are, but are hard to track, like plastics in the food chain or chemicals or various kind of, you know, these kind of forever chemicals that are floating around and that really insidious kind of feeling that that's kind of where that, that term first originated in my research of it. And then of course, it's more recently been attached to people's concerns about climate change and the potential changes that could happen to the environment and to other species. So it has a, it has a history. And then you can go back to say, even people's concerns about nuclear war and during the cold war or people's concerns about chemicals in the environment, going back to Rachel Carson's silent spring, which was published in the early, early 1960s. So it, it does have a little bit of a history. If you dig this idea of being concerned about the state of the world, but in the last couple of years, it's really been amped up because of the predicted, you know, disasters and, and, and events associated with climate change are, have been happening to people and they've been happening close to where you live. And we've been seeing this on the news or even personally experiencing in terms of heat, smoke, fires, severe storms, flooding. And so that's, that's kind of taken this, this kind of general, you know, existential concern that all of us have at one time or another and really, really amped it up for people. It's so interesting because when you talk about that, I, I feel like, especially for those of us on the West Coast, it feels very present or related yeah. to the fires. Uh, yeah. You're up in Portland, and I, before we were started, I gone to Portland a couple of times, and and I think it's an amazing city. And the first time I really got to explore it, it was under ashes, and yeah. the air quality was pretty pretty gnarly. And it was something you know, well before the pandemic, folks were wearing masks just to try to get through. Mm -hmm. day to day and it it felt very apocalyptic to be there the skies this horrible color or maybe you know in a weird way a beautiful color but then there was also just ash raining down and and to me it feels very logical to see like this is going to impact all of us mm -hmm. and for some folks it might impact it more dramatically this yeah this idea that the world is failing is coming to an end that we're destroying the planet and so what's i mean is there is there kind of subclinical like i'm worried and care about the environment and there's clinical eco-anxiety like is there a discernment there that we can make for our audience yeah i would say so and it's really neat that we're we're you know the the listeners are therapists because we can get into this kind of thing so a lot of it yeah. is it's really juicy. It's about our meaning. It's about the words that we use. You know, so when I start to, when I start to talk to people, I'm immediately being very observant to what they, what their language is, what their personal experiences are, you know, even using terms like apocalyptic and stuff like that. It gives us a clue to how we're seeing things. Right. And then there's that people, well, I have some control over my words and I have some control over what language I use. And so that immediately we're, we're started just like any other kind of therapeutic issue, whatever, whatever it happens to be, we're just really listening for the narrative, you know, and therapists of course themselves have been influenced by this as well. And so that's also been a tripping point is that the last couple of years, therapists themselves have been, they're human and they're, they live in Portland or whatever, and they're dealing with the smoke and the heat. So it, they're going through it also. So all the therapists on, that we're listening, that are listening are going through this as well. So we're not sheltered from this. There's no uh, special 
eco-anxiety diagnosis, as you know, I sure. mean, there's, and I know you were talking to the DSM experts. And so uh, <laughs> it's really touchy about, you know, what's in the DSM and there's really important rules about diagnostic categories are made. So what we're dealing with is, and we don't need a new diagnosis. We, we have the tools, we can diagnose someone's feelings of depression or anxiety or trauma with quite amply with the existing DSM. And so anxiety is a normal emotion. We all feel it. It's a healthy, useful emotion. We we're, that's how humans survive. We, you know, anxiety keeps us alive. And also we have social anxiety and different other kinds of anxiety about our performance and how we fit in with our tribe of people and all that sort of stuff. So, so we, we have to remind ourselves that anxiety is normal and some anxiety about the future. And, and there's so many things to be anxious about in the, in the, in our global interconnected world. All of us sit with some anxieties from time to time. That's quite normal. And it, it helps us to be the best people that we can be like with any other kind of anxiety issue. To me, there's three levels. There's normal feelings. There's adjustment level problems. That would be kind of adjustment disorder level. And then there are, you know, pure, you know, more diagnostic problems like like someone might meet criteria for an anxiety disorder. So if someone's concerns about the environment are affecting, significantly affecting their sleep or their diet or their relationships or their work or going to school, you know, if there's that significant impact on activities of life, then, you know, if, if the patient or client is, is, is amenable to that, I mean, that's, that's, we can use that label to help them. Yeah. So, and I think our goal is to, I think a lot of people, myself, maybe yourselves as well, we, we, all of us will move into that adjustment disorder category from time to time, you know, in the sense of, wow, we're really needing to do some extra work to adjust to this stressor that we have. And it could, it could be temporarily affecting our sleep or our things like that. So that part of the goal is to keep people in the adjustment and, you know, keeping them toward health and helping them to not fall into the deeper diagnostic issues. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I'll maybe for spicing this up a bit, come at this from more of the alarmist <laughs> side then. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, this seems to be, you know, following all of the climate predictions, everything else seems to be getting worse and worse. And in managing some of these conversations with our clients, we're going through this too. And yeah. it's, it, it feels like it's so much bigger than what any one of us individuals can do. And it seems like a lot of us are managing these conversations. It's just kind of like, well, 
put your head down and hope for the best and focus on the positives. But I'm imagining that that is not the only things that we should be doing here. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. And that's part of it is bearing witness to this. You know, it is scary. It is overwhelming. I will go through moments of overwhelm too. I mean, and, and it, it's a paradox, the more, you know, ignorance is bliss. And if you don't know much about this, you don't, and it's not concerning you because some of these things are far away or you don't necessarily have to link, you know, weather changes to the climate. So certain people are more vulnerable, even traditionally, people have been more vulnerable, people that are environmentally minded in general, people that are environmental professionals or conservation professionals or teachers or scientists, public health people, you know, so those people have been are more vulnerable because they know a lot. Putting your head down for a moment is fine. You know, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, it's about building capacity, you know, it's about building capacity to be with these issues, you know, some basic kind of cognitive behavioral and other kinds of therapy techniques are helpful about just helping people to, to, to kind of grade what is the true danger today, like how are things going right today when you walk outside your door and just keeping, you know, getting people into the present moment, helping people to be more mindful, essentially reeling in reeling in the anxiety. I say, you know, your, your horses are going to, one of my chair therapy sayings is that your horses are going to ride. Like, you know, if I, my imagination is going to go on, on anything, just don't your, your horses are going to ride, but just don't ride them, you know? So let your, your imagination is going to do what it's going to do, but let's come back to the present moment. And so I, I feel like there's a wave function here where you, people get really stressed and we kind of help just pull it together, build some capacity to take in a little more and then, you know, so there is rise, you know, there's this kind of despair empowerment curve that happens in environmental work in general, but in any kind of important work, you know, you're trying to write a novel or anything, you're going to go through periods where you're up and periods where you're down. And so it's helping people just to get into that little longer flow, but not sugarcoating it either. I mean, that's not helpful. It is, it is scary and it is dangerous. And ultimately people do need to find a way to take some action, you know, because that's the way to complete the anxiety cycle is, is to take some action. So, so there, it gets really existential, it gets political. We need to be like really upfront about all that. You said that folks who don't know kind of can keep their heads down or, or not even know they need to keep their heads down, that, that, that it's kind of ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And it feels like in, in these times, therapists can't be ignorant to these issues because so many folks who are walking into our doors or, or, opening up uh, our, our virtual office windows. I think that they are worried about these things. And so what do you think that are the basics that all therapists should know about this? Yeah. Yeah. And it is becoming, it is becoming a competency, right? Either a, a sub-competency that everybody needs to know a little bit about. And then some people are choosing to, to make this more of a, a subspecialty. We're just in the in new territory for that. I mean, I do a training program, like a 10 week, you know, zoom based program for therapists, eco and climate conscious therapists that I've been doing. I started last fall and I'm into my third round of doing that. And then I have people, I have therapists in from around the U S and also from Canada and Australia and England and Germany. And so people are reaching out to me about that. And, and there are, cause there are very few resources. There's the climate psychology Alliance in the U S and in the UK, and they're, they're really working hard to try to bring things together. So it's, it's not, it's not a barren territory. There's, there's things happening, but it's, it's still new. And so what should all therapists know? That's a good question. On the positive side, 
I think the most positive thing and the thing that I tend to go to with clients is this idea that I mentioned earlier of environmental identity, right? So this is an idea that really is, 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 is ready for prime time. It's the sense that we have, a, all of us have an identity in relation to nature and the natural world, how we see ourselves in relation to nature and other species and places. It's similar to our other kinds of identity, like our gender identity or cultural identity or sexual identity. These kind of identities, we need to give people some information about them so they can think about them and articulate them and then kind of take pride in them and and enact them, right? And so our environmental identity is really all of our values and experiences regarding nature and the natural world. Climate change and environmental issues really, really threaten some of that to us. And and one of the big problems in the modern world, you know, is that people haven't been, unless they're sort of an environmental studies student or a nature writer or you know, an outdoor educator or something, very few people have been taught to really get clear on their environmental identity. We pick it up and it's kind of tacit and it's kind of in us. And we could, either of you, we could talk about your your significant experiences, you know, whether someone's an urban person or a rural person, or they have done outdoor, they feel comfortable doing outdoor camping, or they have pets, or they have connection with other species. It's everybody's story is slightly different, but you know, that that's the value. And that's the base where we would then take action in the future to be the person we want to be. So, you know, I think helping all therapists can help people to help clarify their environmental identity. Why is this important to you? Where did you come from? What does it mean to you? And this becomes a base that you can get really strong on. And then I think it, it, it calms people down and it says, okay, this is, this is a real thing. This is part of me. This is why I'm concerned. And some of that free floating anxiety will, will, will calm down. And, um, so that's that's one that's one piece. The other on the other piece I would say is there's three basic impacts from mental health mental health impacts of climate change that people should be aware of. The first one is kind of obvious that's the disaster impacts when you're really affected by a specific situation like a heat wave or or fires or any kind of thing and there's a whole range of you know disaster psychology research and sure. mental health first aid and things like that that you can you can learn about. The second is the more um chronic impacts, uh, which would be being displaced, like being a climate refugee, chronic, chronic economic problems, you know, things that last a long time and then are, that aren't easily solved. And then that immediately dovetails with all environmental justice issues and people's placement and things like that. So it brings in a, you know, social environmental justice focus. And then the third category is the the kind of ambient impacts, the subjective emotional impacts of just watching things from afar. And depending on where you are as a therapist, you might find clients in any of those boxes or, or multiple boxes. And so the approach is slightly different. And you've written an article on this for American psychologists that we'll link in the show notes that goes into those features a lot more deeply yeah. than here in a minute on our podcast here. <laughs> I want to go back to your first point that you were just talking about. In Katie and I both have practices in very urban settings that in Los Angeles, we end up with you know a few people who really have some access to some of the greater outdoor activities that we have around here. But how do you bring these conversations up to clients who maybe not quite verbalizing some of their relationship to the environment yet? Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and it's, that brings up the larger question of how to bring these ideas up in general. And so, you know, like with any other 
kind of focus that someone has therapeutically, we have to give signals about what we're doing because, you know, this isn't about necessarily putting something on someone, you know, clients come in for a service. And so we want to help them solve their problems. People that I work with, you know, I know in the, in my, in the branding of my, my practice, sustainable self, and I talk, they know a bit about my work and I've done teaching and research. So people already come in or are drawn to me because, because of this. And it actually, you know, so it's important, I think, for therapists to have multiple levels of signaling, like say, if you want to work in this area, put it on your website or your, or your, your materials that this is an area that I'm interested in. And uh, that gives people permission because people don't necessarily know they can talk about this kind of stuff. You know, I say one of my, another one of my therapy sayings is we have issues when we have issues. So it's, you know, capital I issues, like the big things we want to take on in the world and concerns about justice or climate change or our, you know, whatever our destiny is to that we're working on. And then we have our lowercase I issues, which is our baggage, our neuroses, our weaknesses, our, you know, traumas and things like that. And so, you know, being clear, we're, we're open to both of those things. Like, yes, what do you want to achieve in the world, but also how, what's, what's, what's holding you back and what are some of your issues? Cause they, they're kind of related together. And so to come back to your thing about your, your question about nature, there's a lot of consciousness racing and a lot of sort of psychoeducation you could do in this area. Cause again, a lot of people haven't really studied this or broken this out. And so even the term nature, you know, the way I think about it, at least from my, you know, work in, in broader areas of environmental psychology, nature is, is a big term that means a lot of things to a lot of people. And there's practically in our lives, there's a spectrum of nature connections from indoor nature, like plants and, uh, even virtual nature, like artwork and things like that, but, you know, plants and pets, and then there's nearby nature, which is parks and gardens and green spaces. And, and then there's more, you know, uh, managed nature, like forests and the seashore. And then there's, you know, wild or perceived wilder. So there's a whole spectrum. So you can be living in Manhattan and still be part of that spectrum of nature. And arguably, I would say many of your clients have a lot of nature around in their lives, but it might be more of that indoor nature in terms of plants and pets or their imagery and their art or their nearby nature, like their parks or gardens and green spaces. And so there's, and you get benefits, you know, another doorway here is just talking about all the health benefits of connecting in, in safe, you know, outdoor green spaces in terms of stress reduction, in terms of mental restoration and creativity, educating people. And then they become more empowered to say, Oh, okay. I can, I can claim some of this for myself. Cause you know, sometimes urban people feel like, Oh, I, I can't be that. I can't be that eco person, or I can't be that outdoor person. I didn't grow up doing that, or I don't feel comfortable, you know, camping. And so then they, they, they cut themselves off from, from this, which, but that's not necessary. There's a space for everybody. So, and then this grades just generally into basic self-care when we look at folks with different levels of connection to nature or different types of, of environmental identities, I, it, to me, it, it feels like the, the conversation saying like, this is how you would have the conversation seems a little bit daunting because there's such a different experience we all have. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the, the question that lends to me is for folks who men their their big eye issue is not related to the environment are we missing something if we don't introduce the topic? It is daunting. I mean, some of these issues are politicized and we have to kind of be aware of, you know, the, the, the culture of who we're working with and things like that. But I find over time that 
you know, when I open this up in a general way, people, what I actually find is when you, when you start to scratch the surface on this, people often have a lot to talk about mm. a, around all of these issues. Cause they just don't, they have very little opportunity to speculate or talk about any of these kinds of things. One of my environmental identity exercises, like just a simple life timeline and just from birth to the present and what are significant experiences in nature or the natural world or pets or things like that. And that, that opens up all kinds of, I, all kinds of things. But, you know, I think one way to bring up the environmental identity piece is just in, again, in terms of general discussion of other kinds of identities that people have, you know, so, you know, in my work, I help people think about all different kinds of identities they have their, their cultural identity, their gender identity, their sexual identity, their environmental identity, how they think about nature and natural one, you can just add that in there as part of the suite of things. That's that's a kind of a fairly benign way to just put that out on the table, or when someone is concerned about, you know, or if there if there is a environmental stressor that's happening, like heat or smoke or some sort of issue happening regionally, someone can say, well, these kind of outdoor stressors sometimes affect our identity and who we are and our and our values. And is that happening for you? And I can guarantee you, if you would ask people that in Portland, you know, during that when the ash were falling, there would be a lot to talk about there. Oh yeah. And so having that in our tool belt, all therapists having that in their tool belt was really helpful. And then of course, for the therapists themselves, it's part of their life as well, because they have their own environmental identity. And then, you know, and like with a lot of things, like in the work that I do with therapists, when we're doing this training, I, I lead them through their own environmental. I, they do all the exercises themselves and it's really rich and really fun and people get really into it. But, you know, it's like doing your own work essentially, like in any other kind of therapeutic issue, you know, you, you push your own boundaries and see what, what affects you doing a family tree diagram, but having an environmental identity family tree. So you think about all the environmental identity of all the people in the family tree, your parents and your siblings and your grandparents and the generations, so people get really, wow, that's, just, this is really neat. I never thought about this. And I know we're talking about the, the, the anxiety and, and coping, but it's also, it's, a, it's also a growth opportunity. Um, and I think therapists are particularly well positioned for that, that growth opportunity aspect. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Well, and I was thinking even, you know, when you're when you're opening that up and someone does say, yeah, it freaks me out. I don't like to think about it. You know, the world is dying and, mm. you know, and I'd rather just focus on X. You know, I, how do you address that? Because I, I think that there are folks, it, it feels daunting and maybe this is me needing to do my own work, but it feels very mm -hmm. daunting to think about a planet dying and yeah. And or becoming uninhabitable, maybe that's a more accurate way to talk about it at this point. But it, it's something where that's that's overwhelming. That's you know, there's there. It feels like there may not be ready at hand solutions, and and the the advocacy effort seems like that could be helpful. You said kind of those types of things, but I, I guess I'm just searching for where do these conversations go when you identify that someone is really freaking out because there's ash falling from the sky or the, the levees have broken or the, you know, their, their house was burned down, you know, like 
it seems like some of this stuff, you know, if we if we move away from the crisis, you know, like disaster and direct effects to the more indirect effects, like how do we have these conversations in a productive way? Yeah. Well, obviously, if someone's going through a, a true disaster, then we then we're really in disaster mental health territory where sure, it's really sure. about affecting helping people with activities of daily life, like how are you doing in terms of do you have food and and where are you sleeping and clothes? And so that's that's kind of that Red Cross level of work. And some of it is it is basic sort of trauma work. So you could have, you know, really a lot of just stabilizing, you know, mindfulness and relaxation and really helping people to get stabilized and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, one of the things I tell people is that, you know, once you get into this work far enough, you also start to meet all kinds of neat people that are doing all kinds of things. And there's thousands or millions of people. I mean, around the world, there's millions of people that are working on climate change issues and in all these different areas and people are studying things and they're building things. And it's really, there, it's really inspiring to be around some of this stuff. So that's an important message to get out to people. It, it, yes, it's a big issue, but there's a ton of people working on this. Think of all the people, even in the Los Angeles area that are going to work every day on climate and public health and things like that. And so that's important. You know, one of my images is, is this, what I call it the upside down pyramid and people get really upside down. It's like this pyramid is like over the top of them pointing at them and they have very little resources and this, the scope of the issue seems so huge. They just are crushed. And um, yeah. just naming that as an experiential thing that we feel that is important because uh, that's validating for people. But then we say, you know, with the, the reframe is let's flip that pyramid on the ground and let's put it on a base and let's stand next to the base. And like, what do you need to do every day to take care of yourself? So it brings the conversation back to basic self-care. What are the bricks in your foundation, diet, sleep, exercise, your family, your work. And um, let's focus on that and with, let's build some organic energy so you can work on some of these issues, you know? So some of it is, that's a kind of a stabilizing thing that I would do. And a big culprit here is media use and media intake. Mm -hmm. People get really immersed in the news. And of course, with the pandemic and with the war in Ukraine, there's so many things out there that are troubling and, and, and uh, that there's nothing wrong with being uh, informed person. There's nothing inherently wrong with news media in itself, but it's the overwhelming immersion in it that really, really affects people's nervous system. So I'll often say, let's, let's do a bit of a news. Let's look at your news diet because it's usually lurking there. Uh, and let's, let's, let's think about where you went, where and how, and when you're accessing news, particularly digital news, the news on your phone. And, you know, like Henry David Thoreau would have said, you know, a few hundred years ago, you know, like the news is your life, like that, like go outside the door and that's the news. So I help also help people to get into more into their daily life and pull out of the news. And that, that will very quickly help, help our nervous system to change a little bit. So some of that, that overwhelming apocalyptic thing is kind of a perception that happens when we're sure. really jacked up and have a stress and a fight or flight response. And so these are true threats and we don't want to, again, sugarcoat things, but our perception of them can really change if we can kind of pull ourselves together and, and come down into the present moment. Um, so it is, it is, again, it's just this, it's this process and it's engaging, you know, bearing witness and sitting through it when people are really 
you know, really impacted, we have, we feel it, you know, so there is, we have to take care of ourselves as well, because then we get the compassion fatigue kind of issue that can happen as well. Sure. Yeah. Moving beyond the individual that, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of what we look at systemically is individual reactions to systemic problems. Yeah. I'm sure that there are clients that want to get involved in more activism type things that help to take this on in a broader way. What kinds of things do you find yourself suggesting to clients as maybe taking this beyond kind of their own individual reactions to the world going on around them? Yeah. And that's a huge piece because we get so many messages to do action and to take, to take action. And people feel, you know, again, like, People are like climate hostages, I say, because we're in this big system, but we really can't affect what the U.S. Senate does or what, you know, corporations do. And so it does feel people are, are trapped, but it does feel good to take action. And so it really, it really, it's, it's kind of a bespoke kind of custom approach to each person. Like who, who are you? Where are you? What, what kind of actions would you do? Where are you placed? So it really becomes a conversation. You know, there's a front line there of, of direct action, you know, in terms on picket lines or on the protest lines. And there's behind the lines where people are doing all kinds of other things, websites and fundraising and research and helping the community. And so really freeing people up to say, well, where, where do you fit on that spectrum? What, what are you drawn to? Uh, what are you curious about? Some of it is education, like, you know, we might just need, you, you're curious about a certain area. Well, then maybe just educating yourself about it. It's, it's kind of beyond the kind of simplistic, you know, these are 10 things you can do for the environment, you know, <laughs> um, uh, helping people to find something that's, you know, authentic to themselves that they can do for a while that fits into their, their gift. And then there are, there's, there is a basic sense of sustainability. That's good for therapists to know it is, you know, making major life changes about how you get your power in your home or how many cars that you own or your diet or how many children you have. These are the big ticket items that do, do affect our carbon footprint. And so trying to, you know, just educate people, they can make their own choices, obviously. And it's not that easy to say, install solar panels on your house or do whatever, because it depends on how much money people have and whatever. So we don't want to shame people or guilt people, but we do want to give them some good information. So if you do want to make changes, you know, your light bulbs are less important than whether you have an efficient water heater, you know, that kind of thing. So there are some basic sort of sustainability things to know about, but in terms of the climate, that's a large, it's a life thing. Like in all of our life, for the rest of our lives, climate change is going to be an issue. So it's, it's like engaging with something like poverty or injustice. It's something that we're going to, we can engage with in various ways through our life. And when people are younger, they, they might be more on the front line, you know, and you want to encourage people. We need, we need people on the front line. And if you're a frontline person, let's, let's get you there. Uh, I was a frontline person when I was younger. Now I'm a parent and now I'm more doing other things. So, you know, it's going to, there's a, you know, if we have future conversations, we, there's a whole developmental thing here where you can think about elders and adults and parents. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other, that's another lens to lay over this kind of thing that therapists are really good at. But in the short run, the, the, the action is something that it's authentic for you and you might already be doing enough. You know, you, if you're a parent and you're working, you might be doing enough, you know, so that's the other message to give people ultimately in a good, in a good world 
experts in government are going to be dealing with this kind of stuff, not your average person. So that's where we're trying to go, go with this as well. So I do want to kind of liberate people a little bit to say, you know, you don't, you might be doing enough right now. And that can be, that might be important for people to hear. To that point, I, I think there's kind of an implied knowledge that I don't know that I have exactly, and maybe you can direct me specifically to some reputable resources. But as far as, you know, kind of the basic sustainability, those types of things, are there go-to resources that you would recommend to make sure to kind of do an, a self-assessment around basic sustainability? That's a good question. The first place I think about in broad terms is the, is, is Project Drawdown, which is a organization and a, and a and in linkages of a bunch of people that are really working on, you know, a, a comprehensive approach to climate change. Um, and the Drawdown website is is just a wealth of information. It can be a bit, you know, there's a lot of different areas there, but if you really want to kind of see a comprehensive approach to climate change. Um, Across society in different areas and silos, that's that's the kind of the place to go. And it's also can be actually inspiring to see all the things that people are doing. I think each state, if you look at each each state, I mean, in terms of state departments, you know, the sustainability, county, city, I think that's also a good place. You know, check out what's happening in your region because then it makes it more local. Sure. So whatever town, like you know, because I think that's that's a place where you can start to say, oh, wow, this is my, my territory and people are working. So that's, that has a social aspect to it as well. Any last suggestions as far as ways that therapists can incorporate more climate awareness in their practices with their clients? Yeah, I think as therapists, again, all of you, you, you you've both been therapists for all the people that are listening. You know, if you've practiced long enough, new things come onto the scene and you learn about them. You learn about new therapy modalities. You learn about how to do, how to work with different kinds of clients. And so I would encourage um, therapists to just make space in their repertoire to start bringing these and just experiment with it. It's not, it's, it's, it's okay to ask some of these questions and do some learning in, in practice. And so I think that's probably the, because therapists, I, I think, are careful and they don't want to work outside of their comfort zone or outside of their competency. And so that sometimes holds the field back, I think, from doing innovative things. And so I would encourage therapists to surface some of these questions in their work and share selectively, maybe some self-disclosure about what they're doing and just experiment and just see which clients it lands for. Cause it could open up some, it could open up some interesting conversations. You'd be surprised. Uh, and if, uh, people have other things they're focused on and this you know, environment or climate isn't the thing, that's perfectly fine too. But I'd encourage people to experiment with this because therapists have all these tools to bear. They don't have to learn a lot of new stuff. If you already know how to help people with anxiety about work and social anxiety, you can, you can help also help people with their anxiety uh, around environmental and climate issues as well. So I'd encourage people to just to add it, add a line in their repertoire about this and just see, see what happens. This doesn't have to be in your face sort of stuff. One of the things that I appreciate from your website is even putting things like bus lines that are close enough to your office that are accessible for mm -hmm. people that uh, can be front of mind sort of things that this does not have to be necessarily explicitly thrown at every single client, but even just kind of when you're considering this, I mean, I know not every 
office location is going to have these kinds of things, but ways of just kind of also leading by example seems to be right. Yeah. And, and Kurt, that you're speaking to sort of like a green business. And so we can think about our practices as a business and is it, is it a sustainable business? Is it a green business? And so that's another angle for therapists, even if they're, even if they're dealing with another specialty, you know, maybe they're dealing with pediatric, you know, mental health issues or ADHD or whatever that isn't, it's, but doesn't, it doesn't mean they still can't think of their life, their own lifestyle and their own practice in a sustainable manner as well. Thank you so much. This has been really, really helpful. A great conversation that I feel like we've just started. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Katie. I really appreciate the conversation too. Well, people can find me at my my website, um, selfsustain.com. Um, and my podcast is uh, climatechangeandhappiness.com. And if therapists are interested in some of the training that I'm doing, um, you can find information about my consultation groups at, at selfsustain.com. This is an adventure. Things are going to be growing and changing even this year. I'm looking at the different writing and different kinds of ways to maybe do groups that can reach people outside of my region. Um, so yeah, please um, seek me out and I'd be happy to happy to chat with people. And we will include links to those in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com. And please also follow us on our social media. Join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, to continue this conversation and share ways that you are addressing this in your practices as well. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whittown with Katie Renoy and Dr. Thomas Doherty. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 